There's a lot of talk in the US and other countries at the moment about banning books and book censorship. This is an absolutely ridiculous notion, and this podcast and YouTube channel is 100% against the idea of book banning. It's an insane thing to do. But if your government is preventing you from accessing certain information through geo-blocking or government censorship, Surfshark VPN is here to help. With their No Borders feature, simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers and read whatever you please without any governmental interference. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan, and read what you please without any censorship or geo-blocking. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, Use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck Chapter 16 Jodes and Wilsons crawled westward as a unit. El Reno and Bridgeport, Clinton, Elk City, Sayer, and Texola. There's the border. And Oklahoma was behind. And this day, the cars crawled on and on through the panhandle of Texas. Shamrock and Alan Reed, Groom and Yarnell, and then went through the Armarillo in the evening, Drove too long, and camped when it was dusk. They were tired, and dusty, and hot. Grandma had convulsions from the heat, and she was weak when they stopped. That night, Al stole a fence rail, and made a ridge pole on the truck, braced at both ends. That night, they ate nothing but pan biscuits, cold and hard, held over from breakfast. They flopped down on the mattresses, and slept in their clothes. The Wilsons didn't even put up their tent. Jodes and Wilsons were in flight across the panhandle, the rolling grey country, lined and cut with old flood scars. They were in flight out of Oklahoma, and across Texas. The land turtles crawled through the dust, and the sun whipped earth, and in the evening the heat went out of the sky, and the earth sent up a wave of heat from itself. Two days, the family were in flight. But on the third, the land was too huge for them, and they settled into a technique of living. The highway became their home, 
and movement their medium of expression. Little by little, they settled into the new life. Ruthie and Winfeld first, then Al, then Connie and Rose of Sharon, and last, the older ones. The land rolled like great stationary ground swells. Wilderado, and Vega, and Boyce, and Glen Reno. That's the end of Texas. New Mexico and the mountains. In the far distance, waved up against the sky, the mountains stood. And the wheels of the cars creaked around, and the engines were hot, and the steam spurted around the radiator caps. They crawled to the Pecos River, and crossed at Santa Rosa, and they went on for twenty miles. Al Jode drove the touring car, and his mother sat beside him, and Rose of Sharon beside her. Ahead, the truck crawled. The hot air folded in waves over the land, and the mountains shivered in the heat. Al drove listlessly, hunched in the back seat, his hands hooked easily over the crossbar of the steering wheel. His grey hat peaked and pulled to an incredibly cocky shape was low over one eye. And as he drove, he turned and spat out the side now and then. Ma, beside him, had folded her hands in her lap, had retired into a resistance against weariness. She sat loosely, letting the movement of the car sway her body and her head. She squinted her eyes ahead at the mountains. Rose of Sharon was braced against the movement of the car, her feet pushed tight against the floor, and her right elbow hooked over the door. And her plump face was tight against the movement, and her head jiggled sharply because her neck muscles were tight. She tried to arch her whole body as a rigid container to preserve her fetus from shock. She turned her head toward her mother. Ma, she said. Ma's eyes lighted up and she drew her attention towards Rose of Sharon. Her eyes went over the tight, tired, plump face, and she smiled. Ma, the girl said, when we get there, are you going to pick fruit and kind of live in the country, ain't you? Ma smiled a little satirically. We ain't there yet, she said. We don't know what it's like. We got to see. Me and Connie don't want to live in the country no more, the girl said. We got it all planned up what we're going to do. For a moment... A little worry came on Ma's face. You ain't gonna stay with us, with the family? She asked. Well, we talked about it, me and Connie. Ma, we want to live in a town. She went on excitedly. Connie gonna get a job in a store, or maybe a factory. And he gonna study at home, maybe radio, so he can get to be an expert, and maybe later have his own store. And we'll go to pictures whenever. And Connie says I'm gonna have a doctor when the baby's born. And he says, we'll see how times is, and maybe I'll go to a hospital. And we'll have a car, little car. And after he studies at night, why, it'll be nice, and he tore a page out of Western Love Stories, and he's going to send off for a course, because it doesn't cost nothing to send off. I seen it. it. says right on that clipping, I seen it. And why, they even get you a job when you take that course. Radios, it is. Nice, clean work, and a future. And we'll live in town, and we'll go to pictures whenever, and... Well, I'm gonna have an electric iron, and the baby will have all new stuff. 
Connie says, all new stuff, whiten. And, well, you seen in the catalogue all the stuff they got for a baby. Maybe right at first, while Connie's studying at home, it won't be so easy, but when the baby comes, maybe he'll be all done studying, and we'll have a place. Little bit of a place. We don't want nothing fancy, but we want it nice for the baby. Her face glowed with excitement. And I thought maybe we could all go in town and when Carney gets his store, maybe Al could work for him. Ma's eyes had never left the flushing face. Ma watched the structure grow and followed it. We don't want you to go away from us, she said. It ain't good for folks to break up. Al snorted. <clears throat> me work for Carney? How about Carney comes working for me? He thinks he's the only son of a bitch that can study at night? Ma suddenly seemed to know it was all a dream. She turned her head forward again, and her body relaxed. But the little smile stayed around her eyes. I wonder how Granny feels today, she said. Al grew tense over the wheel. A little rattle had developed in the engine. He speeded up, and the rattle increased. He retarded his spark and listened, and then he speeded up for a moment, and listened. The rattle increased to a metallic pounding. Al blew his horn and pulled the car to the side of the road. Ahead, the truck pulled up and then backed slowly. Three cars raced by westward, and each one blew its horn, and the last driver leaned out and yelled, Where the hell do you think you're stopping? Tom backed the truck close, and then he got out and walked to the touring car. From the back of the loaded truck, heads looked down. Al retarded his spark and listened to his idling motor. Tom asked, What's the matter, Al? Al speeded the motor. Listen to her. The rattling pound was louder. Tom listened. Put up your spark and idle, he said. He opened the hood and put his head inside. Now speed her up. He listened for a moment and then closed the hood. Well, I guess right, Al, he said. Conrod Baron, ain't it? Sounds like it, said Tom. I kept plenty oil in it, Al complained. Well, it didn't just get to her. Dryer and a bitch monkey now. Well, there ain't nothing to do but tear her out. Look, I'll pull ahead and find a flat place to stop. You come ahead slow. Don't knock the pen out of her. Wilson asked, is it bad? Pretty bad, said Tom and walked back to the truck, and moved slowly ahead. Al explained, I don't know what made it give out. I give her plenty of oil. Al knew the blame was on him. He felt his failure. Ma said, It ain't your fault. You done everything right. And then she asked a little timidly, Is it terrible bad? Well, it's hard to get at, and, and we gotta get a new Conrad, or else some babbin in this one. He sighed deeply. I sure am glad Tom's here. I've never fitted no bearings. Hope to Jesus Tom did. A huge red billboard stood beside the road ahead, and it threw a great oblong shadow. Tom edged the truck off the road and across the shallow roadside ditch, and he pulled up in the shadow. He got out and waited until Al came up. Now go easy, he called. Take her slow, or you'll break a spring too. 
Al's face went red with anger. He throttled down his motor. God damn it! He yelled. I didn't burn that bearing out. What do you mean I'll burst a spring too? Tom grinned. Keep all four feet on the ground, he said. I didn't mean nothing. Just take her easy over this ditch. Al grumbled as he inched the touring car down and up the other side. Don't you go giving nobody no idea I burned out that bearing. The engine clattered loudly now. Al pulled into the shade and shut down the motor. Tom lifted the hood and braced it. I can't even start on her before she cools off, he said. The family piled down from the cars and clustered about the touring car. Pa asked, How bad? And he squatted on his hands. Tom turned to Al. Ever fitted one? No, said Al. I never. Of course I had pans off. Tom said, Well, we gotta tear the pan off and get the rod out. And we gotta get a new part and honer and shimmer and fitter. Good day's job. Gotta go back to that last place for a part, Santa Rosa. Albuquerque's about 75 miles on. Ah, oh, Jesus, tomorrow's Sunday. We can't get nothing tomorrow. The family stood silently. Ruthie kept close and peered into the open hood, hoping to see the broken part. Tom went on softly. Tomorrow's Sunday. Monday we'll get the thing and probably won't get her fitted for Tuesday. We ain't got no tools to make it easy. Gonna be a job. The shadow of a buzzard slid across the earth, and the family all looked up at the sailing black bird. Pa said, What I'm scared of is that we'll run out of money so we can't get there at all. Here's all us eating, and got to buy gas and oil. If we run out of money, I don't know what we're gonna do. Wilson said, Seems like it's my fault. This here goddamn wreck give me trouble right along. You folks be nice to us. Now you folks pack up and get along. Mean sorry to stay, and we'll figure some way. We don't aim to put you folks out none. Pa said slowly, We ain't a gonna do it. We got almost a kin bound. Grandpa died in your tent. Sairi said tiredly, We've been nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. Tom slowly made a cigarette and inspected it and lighted it. He took off his ruined cap and wiped his forehead. I got an idea, he said. Maybe nobody's gonna like it, but here she is. The nearer to California our folks get, the quicker they's gonna be money rolling in. Now this here car go twice as fast as that truck. Now, here's my idea. You take out some of that stuff, and then all you folks but me and the preacher get in and move on. Me and Casey will stop here and fix this car, and then we'll drive on, day and night, and we'll catch up. Or if we don't meet on the road, you'll be a-working anyways. And if you break down, why, just camp alongside the road till we come. Can't be no worse off, and if you get through, why, you'll be a-working, and stuff will be easy. Casey can give me a lift with this here car, and we'll come a-sailing. The gathered family considered it. Uncle John dropped to his hands beside Pa. Al said, Won't you need me to give you a hand with that Conrad? You said it your own self, you never fix one. That's right, Al agreed. All you gotta have is a strong back. Maybe the preacher don't want to stay. Well, whoever, I don't care, said Tom. Pa scratched the dry earth with his forefinger. 
I kind of got a notion Tom's right, he said. It ain't going to do no good all of us staying here. We can get fifty, a hundred miles on before dark. Ma said worriedly, How are you going to find us? We'll be on the same road, said Tom. Sixty-six right on through. Come to a place near Bakersfield. Seen it on the map I got. You go straight on there. Yeah, but but when we get to California and spread out sideways off this road. Don't you worry, Tom reassured her. We're going to find you. California ain't the whole world. Looks like an awful big place on the map, said Ma. Pa appealed for advice. John, you see any reason why not? No, said John. Mr. Wilson, it's your car. You got any objections if my boy fixes it and brings it wrong? I don't see none, said Wilson. Seems like you folks done everything for us already. Don't see why I can't give your boy a hand. You'll be working, laying in a little money if we don't catch up with you, said Tom. And suppose we all just lay around here. There ain't no water here. And we can't move this car, but suppose you get out there and you get to work. Why, you'd have money, maybe a house living. How about it, Casey? You want to stay with me and give her a lift? I want to do what's best for you folks, said Casey. You took me in and carried me along. I'll do whatever. Well, you'll lay on your back and get grace in your face if you stay here, said Tom. Suits me all right. Pa said, well, if that's the way she's going to go, we better get a shoving. Maybe we can squeeze in a hundred miles before we stop. Ma stepped in front of him. I ain't gonna go. What do you mean you ain't gonna go? You gotta go. You gotta look after a family. Pa was amazed at the revolt. Ma stepped to the touring car and reached in on the floor of the back seat. She brought out a jack handle and balanced it in her hand easily. I ain't gonna go, she said. I tell you, you gotta go. We made up our mind. And now Ma's mouth set hard. She said softly, Only way you're gonna get me to go is to whoop me. She moved the jack handle gently again. And I'll shame you, Pa. I won't take no whooping, crying and a-begging. I lied into you. And you ain't so sure you can whoop me anyways. And if you do get me, I swear to God, I'll wait till you get your back turned or you're sitting down and I'll knock you belly up with a bucket. I swear, holy Jesus' sake, I will. Pa looked helplessly around the group. She's sassy, he said. I ain't never seen her so sassy. Ruthie giggled shrilly. The jack handle flickered hungrily back and forth in Ma's hand. Come on, said Ma. You made up your mind. Come on, whoop me. Just try it. But I ain't a-going, or if I do, you ain't never gonna get no sleep. Cause I'll wait, and I'll wait. Just the minute you take sleep in your eyes, I'll slap you with a stick of stove with. So goddamn sassy, Pa murmured, and she ain't young neither. The whole group watched the revolt. They watched Pa, waiting for him to break into fury. They watched his lack hands to see fists form, and Pa's anger did not rise, and his hands hung limply at his sides. And in a moment, the group knew that Ma had won, and Ma knew it too. Tom said, Ma, what's eating on you? Why you want to do this way for? What's the matter with you anyways? You gone jackrabbit on us. Ma's face softened, but her eyes were still fierce. 
You done this without thinking much, Ma said. What we got left in the world? Nothing but us. Nothing but the folks. We come out, and Grandpa, he reached for the shovel right off. And now? Right now you want to bust up the folks? Tom cried. Ma, we was going to catch up with you. We wasn't going to be long. Ma waved the jack handle. Suppose we was camped, and you went right on by. Suppose we got through. How'd you know where to leave the word? And how'd you know where to ask? She said. We got a bit of road. Grandma's sick. She's up there on the truck, a pouring for a shovel herself. She's just tired out. And we got a long bit of road ahead. Uncle John said, But we could be making some money. We could have a little bit saved up come time the other folks got there. And the eyes of the whole family shifted back to Ma. She was the power. She had taken control. The money we'd make wouldn't do no good, she said. All we got is the family unbroke, like a bunch of cows when the lobos are ranging, stick all together. I ain't scared while we're all here. Oh, it's alive, but I ain't gonna see us bust up. The Wilsons here is with us, and the preacher is with us. I can't say nothing if they want to go, but I'm a going wildcat with this here piece of barn iron if my folks bust up. Her tone was cold and final. Tom said soothingly, Ma, we can't all camp here. Ain't no water here. Ain't even much shade here. Grandma, she needs shade. All right, said Ma. We'll go along. We'll stop first place there's water and shade. And the truck will come back and take you to town to get your part, and it'll bring you back. You ain't going walking along in the sun, and I ain't having you out all alone. So if you get picked up, there ain't nobody of your folks to help you. Tom drew his lips over his teeth and then snapped them open. He spread his hands helplessly and let them flop against his sides. Pa, he said, if you want to rush her one side and me the other, then the rest pile on. Grandma jump down on top. Maybe we can get her without more than two or three of us get killed with that there jack handle. But if you ain't willing to get your head smashed, I guess Ma went filled her flush. Jesus Christ, one person with their mind named up can shove a lot of folks around. You win, Ma. Put away that jack handle before you hurt somebody. Ma looked in astonishment at the bar of iron. Her hand trembled. She dropped her weapon on the ground, and Tom, with elaborate care, picked it up and put it in the back of the car. He said, Pa, you just got set back on your heels. Ow, you drive the folks and get camped, and then you'll bring the truck back here. Me and the preacher will get the pan off. And then, if we can make it, we'll run into Santa Rosa and try and get that Conrad. Maybe we can, seeing it's Saturday night. Get jumping now so we can go. Let me have the monkey wrench and the pliers out of the truck. He reached under the car and felt the greasy pan. Oh yeah, let me have a can, that old bucket to catch the oil. Gotta save that. Al handed over the bucket, and Tom set it under the car and loosened the oil cap with a pair of pliers. The black oil flowed down his arm while he unscrewed the cap with his fingers, and then the black stream ran silently into the bucket. Al loaded the family on the truck by the time the bucket was half full. Tom, his face already smudged with oil, looked out between the wheels. Get back, face, he called, and he was loosening the pan bolts as the truck moved gently across the shallow ditch and crawled away. Tom turned each bolt a single turn, loosening them evenly to spare the gasket.
The preacher knelt beside the wheels. What can I do? Nothing right now. Soon the oil's out, I can get these here bolts loose. You can help me drop the pan off. He squirmed away under the car, loosening the bolts with a wrench, and turning them out with his fingers. He left the bolts on each end, loosely threaded to keep the pan from dropping. Grass still hot under here, Tom said. And then, say, Casey, you've been awful goddamn quiet the last few days. My Jesus, when I first come up with you, you was making a speech every half hour or so. And here, you ain't said ten words the last couple of days. Casey was stretched out on his stomach, looking under the car. His chin, bristly with spare whiskers, rested on the back of one hand. His hat was pushed back, so that it covered the back of his neck. I'd done enough talking when I was a preacher to last the rest of my life, he said. Yeah, but you done some talking sense too. I'm, I'm all worried up, Casey said. I didn't even know it when I was a preaching around, but I was doing considerable tomcatting around. If I ain't gonna preach no more, I gotta get married. Why, Tommy, I'm a lustin' after flesh. Me too, said Tom. Say, the day I came out of McAllister, I was smoking. I run me down a girl. A whore girl like she was a rabbit. I won't tell you what happened. I wouldn't tell nobody what happened. Casey laughed. I know what happened. I went a fastening in the wilderness one time. And when I came out, same damn thing happened to me. Hell it did, said Tom. Well, I saved my money anyway, and I give that girl a run. Thought I was nuts. I should have paid her, but I only got five bucks to my name. She said she didn't want no money. Here, roll under here, grab a hole. I'll tap her loose. Then you turn out that bolt, and I turn out my end. And we let her down, easy. Careful that gasket. See she comes off in one piece. There's only four cylinders to these here old dodges. I took one down one time. Got a main bearing big as a cantaloupe. Now, let her down. Hold it. Reach up and pull down that gasket where it's stuck. Easy now. There. The greasy pan lay on the ground between them. And a little oil still lay into the wells. Tom reached into one of the front wells and picked out some broken pieces of babbit. There she is, he said. He turned the babbit in his fingers. Shaft's up. Looking back and get the crank. Turn her over till I tell you. Casey got to his feet, found the crank, and fitted it. Ready. Reach now. Easy. Little more. Little more. Right there. Casey kneeled down and looked under again. Tom rattled the connecting rod bearing against the shaft. There she is. What you suppose done it? Casey asked. Oh, hell, I don't know. This buggy been on the road 30 years. Says 60,000 miles on the speedometer. That means 160. God knows how many times they turn the numbers back. Gets hot. Maybe somebody lets the oil get low. Just went out. He pulled the cotter pins and put his wrench on a bearing bolt. He strained and the wrench slipped. A long gash appeared on the back of his hand. Tom looked at it. The blood flowed evenly from the wound and met the oil and dripped into the pan. That's too bad, said Casey. Want I should do that and wrap your hand? Hell no, I never fixed a car in my life without cutting myself. Now it's done, I don't have to worry no more. He fitted the wrench again. Wished I had a crescent wrench, he said, and he hammered the wrench with the butt of his hand until the bolts loosened. 
He took them out and laid them with the pan bolts in the pan and the cotter pins with them. He loosened the bearing bolts and pulled out the piston. He put the piston and connecting rod in the pan. There, back guard. He squirmed free from under the car and pulled the pan out with him. He wiped his hand on a piece of gunny sacking and expected the cut. Bleeding like a son of a bitch, he said. Well, I can't stop that. He urinated on the ground, picked up a handful of the resulting mud and plastered it over the wound. Only for a moment did the blood ooze out, and then it stopped. Best damn thing in the world to stop bleeding, he said. Handful spiderweb will do it too, said Casey. I know, but there ain't no spiderweb. You can always get pierce. Tom sat on the running board and expected the broken bearing. Now if we can only find a 25 dodge and get a used conrad and some shims, maybe we'll make her all right. Al must have gone a hell of a long ways. The shadow of the billboard was 60 feet out by now. The afternoon lengthened away. Casey sat down on the running board and looked westward. We're going behind the mountains pretty soon, he said. And he was silent for a moment. Then, Tom? Yeah? Tom, I've been watching the cars on the road. Then we passed, and then passed us. I've been keeping track. Track of what? Tom, there's hundreds of families like us, all are going west. I watched. There ain't none of them going east. Hundreds of them. Did you notice? Yeah, I noticed. Why, it's like they was running away from soldiers. Like a whole country's moving. Yeah, Tom said. There is a whole country moving. We moving too. Well, suppose all these folks here, and everybody suppose they can't get no jobs there. God damn it, Tom cried. How do I know? I'm just putting one foot from the other. I done it up Mac for four years, just marching in a cell, and out of the cell. And in a mess, and out of mess. Jesus Christ, I thought it'd be something different when I'd come out. Couldn't think of nothing in there, or else you'd go stir happy. And now I can't think of nothing. He turned on Casey. This here baron went out. We didn't know it was going, so we didn't worry none. Now she's out, and we'll fix her. By Christ, that goes the rest of it. I ain't gonna worry. I can't do it. This here little piece of iron and bambit, you see it? Well, that's the only goddamn thing in the world I got on my mind. I wonder where the hell Al is. Casey said, Now, look, Tom. What the hell? So goddamn hard to say anything. Tom lifted the mud pack from his hand and threw it on the ground. The edge of the wound was lined with dirt. He glanced over to the preacher. You're fixing to make a speech, Tom said. Well, go ahead. I like speeches. Warden used to make speeches all the time. Didn't do us no harm and got a hell of a bang out of it. What are you trying to roll out? Casey picked the backs of his long, knotty fingers. There's stuff going on and there's folks doing things. Them people laying one foot down in front of the other. They ain't thinking where they're going. Like you says, but these all laying them down in the same direction, just the same. And if you listen, you hear a moving, a sneaking and rustling, and a restlessness. There's stuff going on that the folks doing it don't know nothing about yet. They's gonna come something out of all these folks going west. All the farms left lonely. There's gonna come a thing that'll change the whole country. Tom said, I'm still laying my dogs down one at a time. 
Yeah, but when a fence comes up, you gonna climb that fence? I climb fences when I got fences to climb, said Tom. Casey sighed. It's the best way, I gotta agree, but there's different kinds of fences. There's folks like me that climb the fences that ain't even strung up yet and can't help it. Ain't that Al coming? Tom asked. Yeah, looks like it. Tom stood up and wrapped the connecting rod in both halves of the bearing in the piece of sack. Want to make sure I get the same, he said. The truck pulled along the road and Al leaned out the window. Tom said, You was a hell of a long time. How far'd you go? Outside. Got the rod out? Yeah. Tom held up the sack. Babbitt's just broke down. Well, it wasn't no fault of mine, said Al. No. Where'd you take the folks? We had a mess, Al said. Grandma got to bellerin, and that set Rosa Sharnoff, and she bellered some. Got her head under a mattress and bellered. But Grandma, she was just laying back and baying like a moonlight hound dog. Seems like Grandma ain't got no sense no more. Like a little baby. Don't speak to nobody. Don't seem to recognize nobody. Just walks on like she's talking to Grandpa. Where'd you leave him? Tom insisted. We come to a camp. Got shade and water and pipes. Cost half a dollar a day to stay there, but everybody's so goddamn tired and wore out and miserable they stayed there. Ma says they got to because Grandma's so tired and wore out. Got Wilson's tent up and our tarp for a tent. I think Grandma's gone nuts. Tom looked towards the lowering sun. Casey, he said, somebody's got to stay with the car if she gets stripped. You just soon? Sure, I'll stay. Al took a paper bag from the seat. This here's some bread and meat, Ma sent. And I got your jug of water here. She don't forget nobody, said Casey. Tom got in beside Al. Look, he said, we'll get back just as soon as we can, but we can't tell how long. I'll be here. All right, don't make no speech to yourself. Get going, Al. The truck moved off in the late afternoon. He's a nice fella, Tom said. He thinks about stuff all the time. Well, hell, if you've been a preacher, I guess you got to. Pa's all mad it cost 50 cents just to camp under a tree. He can't see that no ways. Settin' a cussin'. Says next thing they'll say you're a tank of air. But Ma says they gotta be near shade and water cause, cause of Grandma. The truck rattled along the highway. And now that it was unloaded, every part of it rattled and clashed. The sideboard of the bed, the cut body. It rode hard and light. Al put it up to 38 miles an hour, and the engine clattered heavily, and a blue smoke of burning oil drifted up through the floorboards. Cut her down some, Al, Tom said. You're going to burn her right down to the hubcaps. What's eating on Grandma? I don't know. Remember the last couple of days she's been airy nary, saying nothing to nobody? Well, she's yelling and talking plenty now. Only, she's talking to Grandpa. Yelling at him. Kind of scary, too. You can almost see him a-setting there, grinning at her in the way he done. A-figuring herself and grinning. Seems like she sees him a-setting there, too. She's just giving him hell. Say, Pa, he give me $20 to hand to you. He don't know how much you're going to need. Ever see Ma stand out to him like she done today? Not I remember. I sure to pick a nice time to get parole. 
I figured I was going to lay around and get up late and eat a lot when I come home. I was going out and danced and I was going to go tomcatting and here I ain't had time to do none of them things. Alice said, I forgot. Ma gave me a lot of stuff to tell you. She says don't drink nothing and don't get in no arguments and don't fight nobody because she says she's scared you'll get sent back. She got plenty to get worked up about without me giving her no trouble, said Tom. Well, we could get a couple beers, can't we? I'm just a raving for a beer. I don't know, said Tom. Pod crap a little lizard if we buy beers. Well, look, Tom, I got six dollars. And you and me could get a couple of pints and go down the line. Nobody don't know I got that six bucks. Christ, we could have a hell of a time for ourselves. Keep your jack, Tom said. When we get to the coast, you and me will take her and we'll race hell. Maybe when we're working. He turned in the seat. I didn't think you was a fella to go down the line. I figured you was talking him out of it. Well, hell, I don't know nobody here. If I'm going to ride around much, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have me a hell of a time when I get to California. Hope so, said Tom. You ain't sure of nothing no more. Nope, I ain't sure of nothing. When you killed that fella, did you ever dream about it or anything? Did it worry you? No. Well, didn't you never think about it? Sure, I was sorry because he was dead. You didn't take no blame to yourself? No, I don't my time. I don't my own time. Was it awful bad there? Tom said nervously. Look, Al, I've done my time and now it's done. I don't want to do it over and over. There's the river up ahead and there's the town. Let's just try and get a Conrad and hell with the rest of it. Ma's awful partial to you, said Al. She mourned when you was gone. Done it all to herself, kind of crying down inside of her throat. We could tell what she was thinking about, though. Tom pulled his cap down low over his eyes. Now look here, Al. Suppose we talk about some other stuff. I was just telling you what Ma done. I know, I know. But I'd rather not. I'd rather just lay one foot in front of the other. Al relapsed into an insulted silence. I was just trying to tell you, he said after a moment. Tom looked at him, and Al kept his eyes straight ahead. The lightened truck bouncing noisily along. Tom's long lips drew up from his teeth, and he laughed softly. I know you was, Al. Maybe I'm just stir nuts. I'll tell you about it sometime, maybe. You see, it's just something you want to know. Kind of interesting. But I got a kind of funny idea. The best thing be if I just forget about it for a while. Maybe in a little while it won't be that way. Right now, when I think about it, my guts gets all droopy and nasty feeling. Look here, Al. I'll tell you one thing. The jailhouse is just a kind of way of driving a guy slowly nuts, see? And they go nuts, and you see them, and hear them, and pretty soon you don't know if you're nuts or not. When they get the screaming in the night, sometimes you think it's you doing the screaming, and sometimes it is. Al said, Oh, I won't talk about it no more, Tom. Thirty days is all right, Tom said, and a hundred and eighty days is all right. But over a year, I don't know.
There's something about it that ain't like nothing else in the world. Something screwy about it. Something screwy about the whole idea of locking people up. Oh, the hell with it. I don't want to talk about it. Look at the sun a-flashing on them windows. The truck drove to the service station belt, and there, on the right-hand side of the road, was a wrecking yard, and an acre lot surrounded by a high barbed wire fence, a corrugated iron shed in front with used tires pulled up by the doors, and price marked. Behind the shed, there was a little shack built of scrap, scrap lumber, and pieces of tin. The windows were windshields built in the walls. In the grassy lot, the wrecks lay. Cars with twisted, stove-in noses, wound cars lying on their sides with wheels gone. Engines rustling on the ground and against the shed. A great pile of junk. Fenders and truck sides, wheels and axles. Over the whole lot, a spirit of decay, of mould, of rust, twisted iron, half-gutted engines, a mass of derelicts. Al drove the truck up on the oily ground in front of the shed. Tom got out and looked into the dark doorway. I don't see nobody, he said, and he called. Anybody here? Jesus, I hope they got a 25 dodge. Behind the shed, a door banged. A spectre of a man came through the dark shed. Thin, dirty, oily skin, tight against the stringy muscles. One eye was gone and the raw uncovered sockets squirmed with the eye muscles when his good eye moved. His jeans and shirt were thick and shiny with old grease, and his hands cracked and lined and cut. His heavy pounting underlip stuck out sullenly. Tom asked, You the boss? The one eye glared. I work for the boss. He said suddenly, What you want? I got a wreck. 25 dodge. We need a Conrad. I dunno. If the boss was here, I could tell you, but he ain't. He's went home. Can we look and see? The man blew his nose into the palm of his hand and wiped his hand on his trousers. You from hereabouts? Come from east, gone west. Look around, then. Burn the goddamn place down for all I care. Looks like you don't love your boss none. The man shambled close, his one eye flaring. I hate him, he said softly. I hate the son of a bitch. Gone home now, gone to his house. The words fell, stumbling out. He got away. He got away a picking a fella and tearing a fella. He's the son of a bitch. He got a girl, nineteen, pretty. Says to me, how'd you like to marry her? Says that right to me, and... Tonight, says, there's a dance, how you like to go. Me, he says it to me. Tears formed in his eyes, and tears dripped from the corner of the red eye socket. Some day, by God, some day I'm going to have a pot branch in my pocket. And when he says them things, he looks in my eye. I'm going to just take his head right down off his neck with that wrench, a little piece at a time. He panted with his fury, little piece of a time, right down off his neck. The sun disappeared behind the mountains. Al looked into the lot of the wrecked cars. Over there, look Tom, that there looks like a 25 or a 26. Tom turned to the one-eyed man. Mind if we look? Hell no, take any goddamn thing you want. They walked 
threading their way among the dead automobiles to a rushing sedan resting on flat tyres. Sure is a twenty-five, Al cried. Can we yank the pan off, mister? Tom kneeled down and looked under the car. Pan's off already. One rod's been took. Looks like one gone. He wriggled under the car. Get a crank and turn her over, Al. He worked the rod against the shaft, pretty much froze with grease. Al turned the crank slowly. Easy, Tom called. He picked a splinter of wood from the ground and scraped the cake of grease from the bearing and the bearing bolts. How is she for tight? Al asked. Well, she's a little loose, but not bad. Well, how's she for war? She got plenty shim, ain't been all took up. Yeah, she's okay. Turn her over, easy now. Get her down, easy there. Run over the truck, get some tools. The one-eyed man said, I get you a box of tools. He shuffled off among the rusty cars, and in a moment, he came back with a tin box of tools. Tom dug out a socket wrench and handed it to Al. You take her off. Don't loose no shims, and don't let the bolts get away, and keep track of the cotter pins. Hurry up, the light's getting dim. Al crawled under the car. We ought to get us a set of socket wrenches, he called. I can't get no place in with a monkey wrench. Yell out if you want a hand, Tom said. The one-eyed man stood helplessly by. I'll help you if you want, he said. Know what that son of a bitch done? He come by and he got on white pants and says, Come on, let's go out of my yacht. By God, I'll wing him some day. He breathed heavily. I ain't been out with a woman since I lost my eye. He says stuff like that. And big tears cut channels in the dirt beside his nose. Tom said impatiently, Why don't you roll on? Got no guards to keep you here. Yeah, that's easy to say. Ain't so easy to get a job, not for one-eyed man. Tom turned on him. Now look a here, fella. You got that eye wide open, and you're dirty, you stink, you're just asking for it. You like it. Let you feel sorry for yourself. Of course you can't get no woman with that empty eye flapping around. Put something over it, and wash your face, and... You ain't hitting nobody with no pipe wrench. I tell you, one-eyed fella got a hard row, the man said. Can't see stuff the other way, fellas, can't. Can't see how far off the thing is. Everything's just flat. Tom said, you're full of crap. Why, I knowed one-legged whore one time. She was taking two bits in an alley. No, by God, she's getting half dollars extra. She says, how many one-legged women you slept with? None, she says. Okay, she says, you got something pretty special here, and it's going to cost you half buck extra. And by God, she was getting them too. The fellas coming out think they're pretty lucky. She says she's good luck. And I know the hump back in a place I was. Makes his whole living letting folks rub his hump for luck. Jesus Christ and all you got is one eye gone. The man said stumblingly, Well, Jesus, you see somebody edge away from you and gets to you. Cover it up then, God damn it. You're sticking out like a cow's ass. You like to feel sorry for yourself. There ain't nothing the matter with you. Buy yourself some white pants. You're getting drunk and crying in your bed, I bet. Need any help, Al? No, said Al. I got this here bearing loose, just trying to work the piston down. Don't bang yourself.
said Tom. The one-eyed man said softly, You think somebody like me? Why, sure, said Tom. Tell him your dong's growed since you lost your eye. Where are you fellas going? California, the whole family. Gotta get work out there. Well, you think a fellow like me get work? Black patch on my Why not? You ain't no cripple. Well, could I catch a ride with you fellas? Christ, no. We're so goddamn full now we can't move. Get out some other way. Fix up one of this here wrecks and go out by yourself. Maybe I will, Bacal, said the one-eyed man. There was a clash of metal. I got her, Al called. Well, bring her out. Let's look at her. Al handed him the piston and connecting rod and the lower half of the bearing. Tom wiped the bambit surface and sighted along it, sideways. Looks okay to me, he said. Say, by God, if we could have a light, we could get this in tonight. Say, Tom, said Al, I've been thinking. We got no ring clamps. Gonna be a job getting them rings in, especially underneath. Tom said, You know, fella told me one time you wrapped some fine brass wire around the ring to hold her. Yeah, but how you gonna get the wire off? You don't get her off. She melts off and don't hurt nothing. Copper wire be better. Ain't strong enough, said Tom. He turned to the one-eyed man. Got any fine brass wire? I dunno. I think there's a spool somewheres. Where you think a fella could get one of them patches one eye fellas wear? I don't know, said Tom. Let's see if you can find that wire. In the iron shed, they dug through boxes until they found the spool. Tom set the rod in a vice and carefully wrapped the wire around the piston rings, forcing them deep into their slots. And where the wire was twisted, he hammered it flat. And then he turned the piston and tapped the wire all around until it cleared the piston wall. He ran his finger up and down to make sure that the rings and wires were flush with the wall. It was getting dark in the shed. The one-eyed man brought a flashlight and shone its beam on the work. There it is, said Tom. Say, what do you take for that there light? Well, it ain't much good. Got 15 cents new batteries. You can have, uh, 35 cents. Okay, and what do I owe you for this here conrod and piston? The one-eyed man rubbed his forehead with a knuckle and a line of dirt peeled off. Well, sir, I just dunno. If the boss was here, he'd go to a parts book and find out how much you knew one, and while you was working, he'd be finding how bad you hung up and how much jack you got. And then he'd say, well, it's eight bucks in the pot book, but he'd make a price five bucks, and if you put up a squawk, you'd get it for three. He says, it's all me, but... By God, he's a son of a bitch. Figures how bad you need it. I seen him get more for a ring gear than he'd give for the whole car. Yeah, but how much am I going to give you for this here? About a buck, I guess. Alright, I'll give you a quarter for this here socket wrench. Makes it twice as easy. He handed over the silver. Thank you. And cover up that goddamn eye. Tom and Al got into the truck. It was deep dark. Al started the motor and turned on the lights. So long, Tom called. See you maybe in California. They turned across the highway and started back. The one-eyed man watched them go 
and then he went through the iron shed to his shack behind. It was dark inside. He felt his way to the mattress on the floor, and stretched out, and cried in his bed, and the cars whizzing by on the highway only strengthened the walls of his loneliness. Tom said, If you told me we get this here thing and get it into that, I'd said you was nuts. We'll get her in, all right, said Al. You gotta do her, though. I'd be scared to get her too tight, and she'd burn out, or too loose, and she'd hammer out. I'll stick her in, said Tom. If she goes out again, she goes out. I got nothing to lose. Al peered into the dusk. The lights made no impression on the gloom, but ahead, the eyes of a hunting cat flashed green in reflection of the lights. You sure give a fella hell, Al said. Sure did tell him where to lay down his dogs. Well, God damn it, he was asking for it. Just patting himself, because he got one eye putting all the blame on his eye. He's a lazy, dirty son of a bitch. Maybe he can snap out of it if he knowed people was wise to him. Al said, Tom, it wasn't nothing. I done burned out that bearing. Tom was silent for a moment. Then, I'm going to take a fall out of you, Al. You just scrabble an ass over tit, fear somebody pin blame on you. I know what's the matter. Young fella, all full of piss and vinegar. Want to be a hell of a guy all the time. But God damn it, Al, don't keep your guard up when nobody's sparring with you. You're going to be all right. Al did not answer him. He looked straight ahead. The truck rattled and banged over the road. A cat whipped out from the side of the road, and Al swerved to hit it. But the wheels missed it, and the car leapt into the grass. Nearly got him, said Al. Say, Tom, you heard Connie talking about how he's going to study nights? I've been thinking. Maybe I'd study nights too. You know, radio or television or diesel engines. Might get a fella started that way. Might, said Tom. Find out how much they're going to stock you for lessons first. And figure out if you're going to study them. There was fellas taking their mail lessons in McAllister. I never knowed one of them that finished up. Got sick of it and left them slide. God almighty, we've got to get something to eat. Well, Ma sent down plenty. Preacher couldn't eat it all. Be some left. Wonder how long it would take us to get to California. Christ, I don't know. Just plug away at her. They fell into silence, and the dark came, and the stars were sharp and white. Casey got out of the back seat of the Dodge and strolled to the side of the road when the truck pulled up. I never predicted you so soon, he said. Tom gathered the parts and a piece of sacking on the floor. We was lucky, he said. Got a flashlight too. Gonna fix a right up. You forgot to take your dinner, said Casey. I'll get it when I finish. Here, Al, pull off the road a little more and come hold the light for me. He went directly to the Dodge and crawled under on his back. Al crawled under on his belly and directed the beam of the flashlight. Not in my eyes, put her up there. Tom worked the piston up into the cylinder, twisting and turning. The brass wire caught a little on the cylinder wall. With a quick push, he forced it past the rings. Lucky she's loose or the compression stopper. I think she's going to work all right. Hope that wire doesn't clog rings, said Al. Well, that's why I hammered her flat. She won't roll off. I think she'll just melt out and maybe give the walls a brass plate. She might score the walls. Tom laughed. Jesus Christ, them walls can take it. She's drinking oil like a gopher hole already. Little more ain't gonna hurt none.
He worked the rod down over the shaft and tested the lower half. She'll take some shim, he said. Casey? Yeah? I'm taking up this here bearing now. Get out that crank and turn her over, slow when I tell you. He tightened the bolts. Now, over slow. And as the angular shaft turned, he worked the bearing against it. Too much shim, Tom said. Hold it, Casey. He took out the bolts and removed thin shims from each side and put the bolts back. Try her again, Casey. And he worked the rod again. She's a little better. She's a little bit loose yet. Wonder if she'd be too tight if I took out one more shim. I'll try her. Again, he removed the bolts and took out another pair of thin strips. Try her now, Casey. That looks good, said Al. Tom called. Jenny Horror turn, Casey? No, I don't think so. Well, I think she's snug here. Hope to God she is. Can't hold no babbit without tools. This here socket wrench makes her a hell of a lot easier. Al said, Boss that yard's gonna be purry mad when he looks the size of that socket and sees she ain't there. That's his screwing, said Tom. We didn't steal her. He tapped the cotter pins in and bent the ends out. I think that's good. Look, Casey, you hold the light while me and Al gets this here pan up. Casey knelt down and took the flashlight. He kept the beam on the working hands as they patted the gasket gently in place and lined the holes with the pan bolts. The two men strained at the weight of the pan, caught the end bolts, and then set in the others. And when they were all engaged, Tom took them up, little by little, until the pan settled evenly against the gasket, and he tightened hard against the nuts. I guess that's her, Tom said. He tightened the oil tap, looked carefully up at the pan, and took the light, searched the ground. There she is, let's get the oil back in her. They crawled out and poured the buckets of oil back in the crankcase. Tom inspected the gasket for leaks. Okay, Al, turn her over, he said. Al got in the car and stepped on the starter. The motor caught with a roar. Blue smoke poured from the exhaust pipe. Throttle down, Tom shouted. She'll burn oil till that wire goes. Getting thinner now. And as the motor turned over, he listened carefully. Put up the spark and let her idle, he said again. Okay, Al. Turn her off. I think we done her. Where's that mate now? Why, you make a darn good mechanic, Al. Why not? I worked in the shop a year. We'll take her good and slow for a couple hundred miles. Give her a chance to work in. They wiped their grease-covered hands on bunches of weeds and finally rubbed them on their trousers. They fell hungrily on the boiled pork and swigged the water from the bottle. I'd like to starve, said Al. What we gonna do now, go on to the camp? I don't know, said Tom. Maybe they charge an extra half buck. Let's go on and talk to the folks. Tell them we fixed. Then, if they want to suck us extra, we move on. Folks will want to know. Jesus, I'm glad Ma stopped us this afternoon. Look around with the light, Al. See we don't leave nothing. Get that socket wrench in. We may need her again. Al searched the ground with the flashlight. Don't see nothing. All right. I'll drive her. You bring the truck, Al. Tom started the engine. The preacher got in the car. 
Tom moved, slowly, keeping the engine at a low speed, and Al followed in the truck. He crossed the shallow ditch, crawling in low gear. Tom said, "'These here dodges can pull a house in low gear.' "'She sure race you down. "'Good thing for us, I want to break that bearing in easy.' On the highway, the Dodge moved along slowly. The 12-volt headlights threw a short blob of yellowish light on the pavement. Casey turned to Tom. Funny how you fellas can fix the car. Just light right in and fix her. I couldn't fix no car. Not even when I seen you do it. Gotta grow into her when you're a little kid, Tom said. It ain't just knowing. It's more than that. Kids now can tear down a car without even thinking about it. A jackrabbit got caught in the lights, and he bounced along ahead. Cruising easily, his great ears flapping with every jump. Now and then, he tried to break off the road, but the wall of darkness thrust him back. Far ahead, bright headlights appeared, and bore down on them. The jackrabbit hesitated, faltered, and turned and bolted towards the lesser light of the dodge. There was a small, soft jolt as he went under the wheels, the oncoming car swished by. We sure squashed him, said Casey. Tom said, Some fellas like to hit him, gives him a little shake every time. Car sounds okay. Them rings must broke loose by now. She ain't smoking so bad. You done a nice job, said Casey. A small wooden house dominated the campground and on the porch of the house a gasoline lantern hissed and threw its white glare in a great circle. Half a dozen tents were pitched near the house, and cars stood beside the tents. Cooking for the night was over, but the coals of campfires still glowed on the ground by the camping places. A group of men had gathered to the porch, where the lantern burned, and their faces were strong and muscled under the harsh white light. Light that threw black shadows of their hats over their foreheads and eyes that made their chins seem to jut out. They sat on the steps, and some stood on the ground, resting their elbows on the porch floor. The proprietor, a sullen, lanky man, sat in a chair on the porch. He leaned back against the wall, and he drummed his fingers on his knee. Inside the house, a kerosene lamp burned but its thin light was blasted by the hissing glare of the gasoline lantern. The gathering of the men surrounded the proprietor. Tom drove the Dodge to the side of the road and parked. Al drove through the gate in the truck. No need to take her in, Tom said. He got out and walked through the gate to the white glare of the lantern. The proprietor dropped his chair legs to the floor and leaned forwards. You man want to camp here? No said Tom. We got folks here. Hi, Pa. Pa, seated on the bottom step, said, Thought you was going to be all week. Get her fixed? We was pig lucky, said Tom. We got a part for dark. We can get going first thing in the morning. That's a pretty nice thing, said Pa. Ma's worried. Your grandma's off her chump. Yeah, Al told me. She any better now? Well, anyway, she's a-sleepin'. The proprietor said, If you want to pull in here and camp, it'll cost you four bits. Get a place to camp, and water, and wood. And nobody won't bother you. What the hell? said Tom. We can sleep in the ditch beside the road and it won't cost nothing. The owner drummed his knees with his finger, 
deputy sheriff comes on in the night. Might make it tough for you. Got laws against sleeping out in this state. Got a law about vagrants. If I pay you half a dollar, I ain't a vagrant, huh? That's right. Tom's eyes glowed angrily. Deputy Sheriff ain't your brother-in-law by any chance. The owner leaned forward. No, he ain't. And the time ain't come yet when us local folks got to take no talk from you goddamn bums neither. It don't trouble you none to take our four bits. And when we get to be bums, we ain't asked you for nothing. All of us bums, huh? Well, we ain't asking no nickels from you for the chance to lay down and rest. The men on the porch were rigid, motionless, quiet. Expression was gone from their faces, and their eyes in the shadows under their hats moved secretly up to the face of the proprietor. Pa growled, come off it, Tom. Sure, I'll come off it. The circle of men were quiet, sitting on the steps, leaning on the porch. Their eyes glittered under the harsh light of the gas lantern. Their faces were hard in the hard light, and they were very still. Only their eyes moved from speaker to speaker, and their faces were expressionless and quiet. A lamp bug slammed into the lantern and broke itself and fell into the darkness. In one of the tents, a child wailed in complaint, and a woman's soft voice soothed it and then broke into a low song. Jesus loves you in the night, sleep good, sleep good. Jesus watches in the night, sleep oh, sleep oh. The lantern hissed on the porch. The owner scratched in the V of his open shirt where a tangle of white chest hair showed. He was watchful and ringed with trouble. He watched the men in the circle, watched for some expression and they made no move. Tom was silent for a long time. His dark eyes looked slowly up at the proprietor. I don't want to make no trouble, he said. It's a hard thing to be named a bum. I ain't afraid, he said softly. I'll go for you and your deputy with my mitts, here now, or jump Jesus. But there ain't no good in it. The men stirred, changed positions, and their glittering eyes moved slowly upwards toward the mouth of the proprietor. And their eyes watched for his lips to move. He was reassured. He felt that he had won, but not decisively enough to charge in. You ain't got half a buck? he asked. Yeah, I got it, but I'm gonna need it. I can't set it out just for sleeping. Well, we all gotta make a living. Yeah, Tom said. Only, I wish there was some way to make her without taking away from somebody else. The men shifted again, and Pa said, We'll get moving smart early. Look, mister, we paid. This here fella's part of our folks. Can he stay? We paid. Half a dollar a car, said the proprietor. Well, he ain't got no car. Car's out on the road. He came in a car, said the proprietor. Everybody leave their car out there. And come in, use my place for nothing. Tom said, We'll drive along the road, meet you in the morning. We'll watch for you. Al can stay, and Uncle John can come with us. He looked at the proprietor. That all right with you? He made a quick decision with a concession in it. If the same number stays, come and paid, it's all right. Tom brought out his bag of tobacco. 
a limp grey rag by now, with a little damp tobacco dust in the bottom of it. He made a lean cigarette and tossed the bag away. We'll go along pretty soon, he said. Pa spoke generally to the circle. It's dirt hard for folks to tear up and go. Folks like us that had our place. We ain't shiftless. Till we got tractored off, we was people with a farm. A thin young man with eyebrows, sunburned yellow, turned his head slowly. Crapping? he asked. Sure, we was sharecropping. Used to own the place. The young man faced forwards again. Same as us, he said. Lucky for us it wasn't going to last long, said Pa. We'll get out west, and we'll get work. We'll get a piece of ground land with water. Near the edge of the porch, a ragged man stood. His black coat dripped torn streamers. The knees were gone from his dangarees. His face was black with dust, and lined where sweat had washed through. He swung his head towards Pa. You folks must have a nice little pot of money. No, we ain't got no money, but there's plenty of work, and we all good men. Get good wages out there, and they put them together. We'll make out. The ragged man stared while Pa spoke, and then he laughed. His laughter turned to a high, whinny giggle. The circle of faces turned to him. The giggling got out of control and turned to coughing. His eyes were red and watering when finally he controlled his spasms. You going out there? <laughs> Don't crust. The giggling started again. You going out? Get a good wage. <laughs> Don't crust. He stopped and said slyly, Picking oranges, maybe? Gonna pick peaches? Pa's tone was dignified. We're gonna take what they got. They got lots of stuff to work in. The ragged man giggled under his breath. Tom turned irritably. What's so goddamn funny about that? The ragged man shut his mouth and looked sullenly at the porch boards. You folks all going to California, I bet. I told you that, said Pa. You didn't guess nothing. The ragged man said slowly, Me, I'm coming back. I've been there. The faces turned quickly towards him. The men were rigid. The hiss of the lantern dropped to a sigh, and the proprietor lowered the front chair legs to the porch, stood up, and pumped the lantern till the hiss was sharp and high again. He went back to his chair, but he did not tilt the back again. The ragged man turned towards the faces. I'm going back to starve. I'd rather starve all over it on set. Pa said, What the hell are you talking about? I got a handbill that says they got good wages, and a little while ago, and I seen a thing in the paper says they need folks to pick fruit. The ragged man turned to Pa. You got any place to go back home? No, said Pa. We're out. They put a tractor past the house. You wouldn't go back then? Course not. Then I ain't gonna fret you, said the ragged man. Course you ain't gonna fret me. I got a handbill says they need man. Don't make no sense if they don't need man. Cost money for them bills. They wouldn't put them out if they didn't need any man. I don't want to fret you. Pa said angrily, You done some jackassing. You ain't gonna shut up now. My handbill says they need man. You laugh and say they don't. Now which one's the liar? The ragged man looked into Pa's angry eyes 
He looked sorry. Handbill's right, he said. They need man. Then why the hell are you stirring us up laughing? Because you don't know what kind of man they need. What you talking about? The ragged man reached a decision. Look, he said. How many men they says they want on your handbill? Eight hundred, and that's one little place. Orange color handbill? Why, yes. Gives the name of a fella, says so-and-so labor contractor. Pa reached in his pocket and brought out the filled handbill. That's right, how'd you know? Look, said the man. It don't make no sense. This fella wants 800 men. So he prints up 5,000 of them things and maybe 20,000 people sees them. Maybe two, 300 folk get moving, account of this there handbill. Folks that's crazy with worry. But that don't make no sense, Pa cried. Not till you see the fella that put out this here bill. You'll see him, or somebody that's working for him. You'll be a camping by a ditch, you and 50 other families. And he'll look in your tent and see if you got anything left to eat. And if you got nothing, he says, want a job? And you'll say, I sure do, mister. I sure thank you for a chance to do some work. And he'll say, I can use you. And you'll say, when do I start? And he'll tell you where to go, what time. And then he'll go on. Maybe he needs 200 men, so he talks to 500 And they tell the other folks, and when you get to the place, there's a thousand men. This here fella says I'm paying 20 cents an hour. And maybe half the men walk off. But there's still 500 that's so goddamn hungry they work for nothing but biscuits. Well, this here fella's got a contract to pick them peaches or chop that cotton. You see now? The more fellas he can get, and the hungrier, the less he's gonna pay. And he gets a fellow with kids, if he can, cause, hell, I says I wasn't gonna fret you. The circle of faces looked coldly at him. The eyes tested his words. The ragged man grew self-conscious. I says I wasn't gonna fret you, and here I am a-doing it. You gonna go on? You ain't going back. The silence hung on the porch and the lights hissed, and a halo of moths swung around and around the lantern. The ragged man went on, nervously. Let me tell you what to do when you meet the fellow that says he got work. Let me tell you. Asked him to write down what he's gonna pay. I asked him that. I tell you, men, you're gonna get fooled if you don't. The proprietor leaned forward in his chair. The better to see the ragged, dirty man. He scratched among the grey hairs on his chest. He said coldly, You sure you ain't a labor faker? The ragged man cried, I swear to God I ain't. There's plenty of them, the proprietor said, going round, stirring up trouble, getting folks mad, chiseling in. There's plenty of them. Times come when we string them up, all them troublemakers. We're gonna run them out of the country. Man wants to work? Okay. If we don't, then to hell with him. We ain't gonna let him stir up trouble. The ragged man drew himself up. I tried to tell you folks, he said. Something it took me a year to find out. Took two kids, dead, took my wife, dead to show me. 
but I can't tell you. I should have knew that. Nobody couldn't tell me, neither. I can't tell you about them little fellas laying in tent with their bellies puffed out, just skin on bones, and shivering, and whinnying like pups, and me running around trying to get work, not for money, not for wages. He shouted, Jesus Christ, just a cup of flour and a spoon of lard. And then the coroner come. Them children died of heart failure, he said. Put it on his paper. Shivering they was, and his belly stuck out like a pig bladder. The circle was quiet, and mouths were open a little. The men breathed shallowly and watched. The ragged man looked around the circle, and then he turned and walked quickly away into the darkness. The dark swallowed him, but his dragging footsteps could still be heard a long time after he was gone. Footsteps along the road. And a cart came by on the highway, and its lights showed the ragged man, shuffling along the road, his head hanging down, his hands in the black coat pockets. The proprietor said, Probably shiftless. There's so goddamn many shiftless men on the road now. And then he was quiet, and he tipped his chair back against the wall, and fingered his throat. Tom said, I guess I'll go see Ma for a minute, and we'll shove along in peace. The Jode men moved away. Pa said, Suppose he's telling the truth, that fella. The preacher answered, He's telling the truth, all right. The truth for him, he wasn't making nothing up. How about us? Tom demanded. Is that the truth for us? I don't know, said Casey. I don't know said Pa. They walked to the tent, tarpaulin spread over a rope, and it was dark inside and quiet. When they came near, a greyish mass stirred near the door and arose to person height. Ma came out to meet them. I'll sleep in, she said. Grandma finally dozed off. Then she saw it was Tom. How'd you get here? She demanded anxiously. You ain't had no trouble? Got her fixed said Tom. We're ready to go when the rest is. Thank God. Thank dear God for that, said Ma. I'm just a twisterin' to go on. I want to get there where it's rich and green. I want to get there quick. Pa cleared his throat. Fela was just saying. Tom grabbed his arm and yanked it. Funny what he says, said Tom. Says there's lots of folks on the way. Ma peered through the darkness at them. Inside the tent, Ruthie coughed and snorted in her throat. I've washed him up, Ma said. First water we got enough to give him a going over. Left the buckets out for you fellas to wash too. Can't keep nothing clean on the road. Everybody in? Pa asked. All but Connie and Rosa Shaw. They went off to sleep in the open, says it's too warm under the cover. Pa observed carousely. Aunt Rosa Shaw's getting awful scurry and nissy-missy. It's her first said Ma. Her and Connie sets a lot of store by it. You done the same thing. We'll go now, said Tom. Pull off the road a little piece ahead. Watch out for us if we don't see you. We'll be off right-hand side. Al staying? Yeah, leave Uncle John come with us. Night, Ma. They walked away through the sleeping camp. In front of one tent, a low, fitful fire burned, and a woman watched a kettle that cooked early breakfast. The smell of the cooking beans was strong and fine. I'd like to have a plate of them, 
Tom said politely as they went by. The woman smiled. They ain't done yet, or you'd be welcome, she said. Come round in daybreak. Thank you, ma'am, Tom said. He and Casey and Uncle John walked by the porch. The proprietor still sat in his chair, and the lantern hissed and flared. He turned his head as the three went by. You running out of gas? Tom said. Well, time to close up anyways. No more half-bucks rolling down the road, I guess, Tom said. The chair legs hit the floor. Don't you go sassing me. I remember you. You one of this here troublemakers. Damn right, said Tom. I'm Bolshevisky. There's too many of you kind of folks round. Tom laughed as they went out the gate and climbed into the dodge. He picked up a clod and threw it at the light. They heard it hit the house, saw the proprietor spring to his feet and peer into the darkness. Tom started the car and pulled into the road, and he listened closely to the motor as it turned over, listened for knocks. The road spread dimly under the weak lights of the car. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye bye Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.